Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name, and we're still here. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You're listening to Theater in College Hoops. Sam Subi alongside me is Taylor Dammel and The Shark. We're brought to you by Dash Radio's Nothing But Net channel and the Barnburner Podcast Network. Go subscribe on whichever device that you use. Your random college hooper of the week this week is Deontay Christmas, former Temple player. Let me tell you right now, putting it out there, giving you a fair warning, this is going to be a Philadelphia basketball heavy episode. Deontay Christmas, random college hooper of the week. Just get ready for some more names, though. Buckle up. Check out the website at thebarnburner.com. That's the-barnburner.com. And make sure to follow us on Twitter at CBB Theater. You should also follow me at Subi232 to find out where the feet is. And make sure to follow Taylor at Taylor Dammel and the shark at the underscore shark underscore BB. Let's open the curtains. gentlemen super bowl football is done we're over uh the sporting world has shifted their eyes over to college basketball i don't think people really care that much about the nba just yet pitchers and catchers reporting in a couple weeks still i don't know if anyone cares about hockey period but college basketball now has entering its uh its its prime stages we're only a couple weeks away from selection sunday shark let me ask you actually what was a more exciting development this past week? Was it Rain Dakota Prescott 
following the Washington football team on his socials? Or was it Tennessee coming back and showing some resolve against Kentucky? I mean, both were pretty big. I'll tell you that much. Dak's a great fit in D.C. He'd be a great player on the football team. I'm all aboard that one if we can get there. But I was blown away by the comeback by Tennessee in the second half. It wasn't much of a comeback, but it was more so the performance. It just looked like an entirely different team. So I I know it was all doom and gloom about Tennessee over the past few weeks. I've been upset with their performances. I've been disgusted with the offense. I've been, you know, upset with what our senior leaders are supposed to be doing. Fulkerson's gotten weaker. Viscovi's gotten slower. I can't believe what I'm looking at. But then something switched in that second half with Keon Johnson and Jaden Springer, and I'm all aboard. I, I called them national champions at the beginning of this year, and I'm ready to do it again right now. I'm super excited about the falls. And if Dak Prescott can put a little cherry on top right after that March Madness run, then why not? Let, let's have a nice little uh, let's have a nice little spring here. I'm surprised you didn't carve out a quick second, quick shout out for Eve Ponds. I mean, you know what you're going to get from Eve Ponds each time. He's a freak athletically. He's going to play at the next level in the NBA, but he's got a jump shot that makes me want to check into a facility every once in a while. So it's it's funny. I feel like the past couple of weeks we've done a bit of a role reversal here. Arizona was playing pretty well. Taylor, they've lost two straight, got swept by the mountain schools in Utah and Colorado. Obviously, the season was over ever since they announced that they're not going to the tournament, a self-imposed ban. I don't know if they'd be making the tournament as it stands right now. They're on a bit of a skid. And uh, yeah, I mean, uh, the Sharks thrilled about his Tennessee Vols. I can't imagine you're too happy with Arizona this past couple of weeks. I mean, I hate to be as even though we talk about Arizona a lot, who cares? You know, I mean, like you said, the season was over weeks ago. Uh, We can talk about Sean Miller and his future going forward. That's fine. But in terms of like what anything means this year, it doesn't mean anything. Um, I also think there's a little bit of that as to why the team is struggling. Cause if there's one year to try some new lineups out or toss some new shit in, uh, we did just get, or Arizona did just get, uh, finally, because the NCAA fucking is garbage, uh, our best recruit is now finally able to play as of February 6th, Kirk Kreese from uh, uh, Estonia. Uh, so working him in is is, a, is something that needs to be done, too, even if it means not winning games. Kirk Kreese hitting his first shot, took him uh, against Colorado, hits a big three there. But yeah, Kirk Kreese back. We don't have a ton of content for you this week, to be honest with you, but we do have a fantastic interview with uh, Barstool's big man on campus, Jeff Nadu. Shark was deep in his periscopes back in 2018. So I, I think this Still was a am. get. Yeah. It's a great periscope okay. to find yourself in. Uh, I, I know I'm jumping in right here, but the minutes from Nadu right here rival that of Spike Albrecht in 2013 and off the bench against. Um, oh my God, I forgot. Who's who that against? It was the title game, it was against yeah. Louisville. It was Louisville. Yes. It, it, the minutes from they do a rivaling Spike Albrecht in 2013. Now, does that include the minutes that he poured into his Twitter when he gave a shout out to Kate Upton? I think this yeah. was pre Verlander, Kate Upton, too. I, I, oh, you're talking about, I thought you were talking about Nadu sliding into <laughs> Upton's. Yeah, no, I, I, I didn't see that. But yeah, Albrecht, I mean, you know, minutes are minutes. You know, it, it's an extenuation of it right now. It, everyone's, if you're hitting a three on the court, maybe you're, um, delivering off the court too minutes or minutes i like that without further ado let's go ahead and get to our interview with jeff nadu that's a rhyme right there all right we now welcome to the program jeff nadu aka big man on campus and the host of big man on basketball podcast jeff how you doing today first and foremost did i 
pronounce your name incorrectly? Your last name? Uh, no. I think you sounded. I, I, I mean, I'm a, I have a bad short-term memory, but I think you. I think you said it okay. Yeah. <laughs> good. Yeah, I think you're good. Good. Thank you, man. How you How you doing today? I'm great. I appreciate you guys having me. You know, I listened to your show uh, the other day. Uh, it's good stuff. Good work. I appreciate it, man. I, very kind words right out of the gate. And I want to jump right into it. I saw a stat over the weekend, a nugget, really, not really a stat, but the Blue Bloods. We know about Carolina. We know about Kentucky, Duke, having a lot of struggles. But I think this is the first time like the top 15 winningest programs, something like that, are not ranked. Let me ask you, do you think that this is going to be a trend of these great teams sort of cycling out in terms of their performance over the that, that that's going to happen over these next couple of years? Or do you think this is just a one-off COVID type of uh, year that's impacting these blue bloods? No, I mean, they'll try to say it was, but no, these, these teams wouldn't be good if, if if it were a regular season, you know? And, and I, I've actually talked about this on, on – I did another radio thing recently, and I, I talked about um, just the, the overall classes recently haven't been particularly good. I mean, outside of Cade Cunningham and one or two other guys, and, and even last year, I mean, it wasn't a particularly good class as far as, you know, the freshmen. There was no – Zion Williamson, LaMelo Ball type of player, uh, particularly this year or last year. And when you look at Duke, when you look at Kentucky, when you look at uh, Michigan State, those kind of teams, you know, they're not necessarily winning recruiting battles now. You know, Michigan's winning them. And, you know, places like Oklahoma State are winning them and and, and teams like that. So, no, I think it's one of those years. Um, but I don't know how long this will persist. Uh, probably it will bleed into next year because when you look at – you know, I follow recruiting kind of kind of keenly. You look at Duke, they actually bring in a top 10 recruit next year, and there's still a couple kids that haven't decided. But, um, you know, Gonzaga's winning the battles now and, and, and you know, Oregon. So, you know, the, these Dukes and this Kentuckys, they're not winning those battles. But, yeah, it's just a weird year. Uh, but, yeah, I don't think it has anything to do with COVID. I think they'll blame it on that, but that, that's not why. If, if we had a regular season, it would be the same. So we talked about this on uh, last week's podcast, but we kind of had a little discussion about these coaches uh, being better recruiters or better in-game coaches or better preparers. I kind of brought up a point about being them, you know, necessary for them to have a month or two in advance to coach these guys. And maybe that had a little bit to do with maybe them not being as good in-game coaches as we may have you know, we may think they are. Do you think that's true at all? Or do you think we're just extrapolating that point of not, of them not having the preparatory months, uh, maybe being too much of an indicator of how good a coaches they are. I think in Duke's case, that has a lot to do with it. Um, I, I've said for a long time, I don't think Mike Krzyzewski is a particularly good on the court coach. He's a great recruiter. I mean, he's obviously got, you know, kind of the legendary name and, and that program, but you know, over the years, he's been lucky to have, you know, elite teams and elite kids, uh, I don't know if a lot of it has to do with him. Look at Roy Williams is another example. He, he's not a particularly good on the court coach anymore. Um, you know, in the case of Izzo or, or Calipari, I think they're better than, than most. Uh, but if you're asking me to rank the top five coaches in America truly, uh, none of them would be in there. Um, you know, Izzo would probably be the closest. But, yeah, Krzyzewski, I think a lot of it has to do with that. If, if you notice this year, a, a good coach could find a way have this team at least make the tournament i mean to not even make the tournament in this acc uh, disgraceful uh, actually disturbing that they can't make the that they can't make the tournament with this team 
uh, with the talent that they have. The talent that they have is good enough to win this conference or at least get into the tournament. It is disgraceful that they're not probably going to get into the tournament. I mean, they're going to have to get a miracle for that to happen. I love the adjectives, Jeff. I, I do want to take a step back here, and I'll be totally honest with you, man. I, I first started following you back in like 2017 or 2018. I don't know where this is going. This could be I used bad to I used to live in your Periscope, and I frankly somewhat right. I, I still do. And the reason I was drawn to you is because you used to hate on Tennessee so much back when we the well, Grant Williams I, Admiral Schofield teams. You know, I, was, I would get in there and fight with you. Yeah. Um, but I mean, you're, the reason I like you, like I, I, you're a great follower right now because you're ruthless with your followers and you don't <laughs> back down from people that chirp you. So I respect yeah. it. Um, but the reason I'm asking this question is, you know, I started following you on Twitter. And I'm like, who yeah. the hell is this guy? And I yeah. actually generally don't know wh- how you got to where you're at right now. You're a pretty prominent figure on social media, especially in the college basketball space. I don't know about your background. I, I, I am curious about how you got to this position where we're, we're soliciting you to come on our show here. Yeah. Well, um, well, first of all, that was really nice of you. I, I I thought you would say something like, I fucking hate you. And no, I don't know no, how no. the fuck you're here. You deal uh, with that enough. I'm not going to yeah. go there. I respect you. It's I funny. Really, yeah. You know, it's funny. This is a true story. Uh, when, when you guys sent me the request, this is the DM I had on Twitter I was reading. True story. Uh, I'm going to read it to you. Uh oh. You're a fat piece of shit retard. By the way, go out and check your tires. That wasn't from us. That was Subi runs that account. He no, 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 that. not from you guys. It wasn't from you. Oh, guys. all right. That was just I'm a DM out. I had gotten right before I got you. Yeah, no, no, so, that's yeah, not dark. So that's no, dark. No, yeah, that, but that's what I deal with, right? So you know, but I'm always in the the notion of saying, you know, if you're going to be an asshole to me, I'm going to be one right back. Um, and that's always kind of how I did things. As far as how have I gotten to where I, I guess I am in a way? Look, I'm no different than most. I was. I, I started doing content like eight, nine years ago, and I, I, I would sit there for, for years on end and do it when nobody watched. Uh, my goal was always to just try to make some money with doing this. I was always going to have a job. I, I really didn't know what I wanted to do in life. I always was good at sports. I'd, I've been betting since I was like eight or nine years old. So, you know, betting's always been kind of a norm. And, you know, I was kind of moving in circles where there's a lot of gamblers, and, and I kind of got to know people. And, you know, one day I went to my parents' house. I, I've lived alone since I was 18. I just can't live with my family. I, I got, I'm, I'm kind of a free spirit. So my dad told me about podcasts. No one was doing them at that point. And that was back in like 2010, 2011. And I just started doing content. And as I said, nobody listened to it. But uh, initially it was to just maybe find a, a company that would maybe pay me to talk about a game or two occasionally. And that's what happened. And then I just tried to build a following and stay constant with it. And I guess at some point you get to a point where you know, even if you get chirped, uh, most people respect you because they know that you put in time and you know, they know when you li- they listen to you, you're, they're always going to get something good. I'm not going to say I win all the time. I have bad months. I've had bad years. I've had bad weeks, but I always try to put out good info and, and, and the, the, the most of the, the people that follow me enjoy me, I think, but there are the percentage of people that, you know, maybe they're not familiar with someone that, acts like me they kind of just expect you to be timid or whatever but you know i've always looked at it as if you're nice to me i'm nice to you if you make it a point to be an asshole to me i'm gonna be one back so um you know i appreciate the kind words of, of you saying this stuff yeah Look, absolutely 
the Go golden ahead, rule applies to this corner of, of Twitter, and that's our college basketball Twitter. We got to look out for each other, point blank, period. And your ascension yeah. has been uh, really great and a lot of fun to follow here. Uh, I got to tell you, though, I mean, you're a Philly guy, right? Let's start with your roots. You're a Philly yeah. guy. And obviously, last week, we lost a Titan in college basketball, yeah. an absolute legend in John Chaney. Can you tell me a little bit of the impact he had maybe on you personally yeah. and what he really meant to the city? Yeah, you know, people don't really realize it now just because of, you know, Temple's not the team it once was. But, you know, there was a time, even when I was younger, you know, that early 2000s when I was just getting into basketball, you know, Temple was huge. I mean, they were like the fifth team in this town. They were what Villanova is now. Uh, and I remember when I was a kid – 2001 was the greatest basketball year I will remember. I was 12 at the time. I had fell in love with Allen Iverson. I was a huge Sixer fan. And I remember that year, 2000, 2001, Temple went to the Elite Eight. They had a guy uh, called Lynn Greer. Uh, John Chaney was the coach at that time. Uh, you know, Quincy uh, Wadley, you know, David Hawkins, Ron Rollerson. It was a great team. Uh, and and I kind of always remember John Chaney. And, and I remember growing up just watching him on the sidelines. And then a kid that went to high school in my town, actually played for him at Temple, Dustin Salisbury. He played there for four years. He actually played with him until John retired. Um, you know, I think John, and this is something I, I kind of researched years after he retired and just kind of realizing the kind of coach that he was. He was a true epitome of a coach. You know, nowadays coaches are so worried about themselves and, and just going to the next job and, and, and worrying about money and that kind of thing in their ascension. But you know, John Chaney was, was 50 years old when he took that job over. And I think his, um, his whole idea was, you know, we're going to try to win basketball games here. We're going to do it the right way, but I'm going to try to make these kids men and I'm going to try to create um, a, a, a positive place for them to, to come. And you know, a lot of people don't realize like Aaron McKee, the, the coach at Temple now, he was a prop 48 player. A prop 48 player is someone that uh, was a great player, but they didn't necessarily have the grades to get into college. And you know, he would take these kids and he would he would get them tutors and mentors and you know, he would turn them into men. I, I've seen so many kids at Temple that maybe would have, without a figure in their life, you know, been a statistic probably. And yeah, you know, I think that's one thing about Cheney that you just don't see him and John Thompson were integral in doing stuff like that. And you know, Thompson did it with Allen Iverson, if you know anything about Allen Iverson. So you know, we have to realize in this country that one of the main, I think, saviors for a lot of kids is sports. And, and uh, you know, maybe they don't have the, the the drive at home or they don't have someone that's there to, to talk to. And, yeah, I think we need to put more into sports, more into basketball, into football. Um, you know, coaches are, are important to kids and in some aspects the only uh, person. So, yeah, we lost probably, a, you know, one of the only coaches left that's actually a coach. and. He did a lot for the game. What a what a legend. No doubt. Jeff, you kind of read my mind a little bit on some of your response there. I've always wondered, you know, Subi and I were from the Boston area. Taylor's from the West Coast. Yeah. From afar, you look at Philly, and there's so much pride within the, the Philly Big Five. You got five oh, schools yeah. where it's like everyone's kind of rallying around each team. Do you, do you have a specific team that you would root for the most? And what if you don't, then what is the more popular team in the area? Yeah, I, I've always rooted for Temple. As I said, when I was, you know, when I was just a young kid, I mean, some of the first basketball I watched was Temple basketball, you know, back in 99, 2000, you know, just when I was, a, I was a young kid. Uh, yeah, I've always rooted for Temple. I've actually had season tickets up until this year. I, I was there through the Dunphy years. And um, yeah, I remember back when I was just graduating high school around, you know, the, 
2007, 2010 range in that area. They had uh, some of my favorite players that ever played there. You know, some of the Fran Duff years were, were good. I mean, they beat Duke one year. I remember at the Wells Fargo Center, it was it was terrific. But yeah, I, I've always said I think Philadelphia, and I'm not just saying this. I think it's the best basketball city in America from a college standpoint, from a high school standpoint. Um, you know, just the amount of, of players that have, have come from this area that, uh, you know, and even as you guys said, the big five, a lot of people don't know Temple University is the fifth most winningest program in college basketball history. It's got a rich tradition. And, um, you know, it's, uh, we sad. know, uh, yeah, yeah, we, we yeah. know this. Yeah, actually. Yeah. yeah. We've, we've ranked the top 50 programs over the summer. Temple yeah. snuck in there. One of those, I mean, they didn't sneak in there. I forget yeah. what rank they're at. Good. Taylor's going to have a question for you about another team that we included in there, but you know, we're, we're roughly the same age and I'm saying this, you, you are well-versed in all Philly basketball. I have to ask you this. Would you, it's not a, would you rather, but who would you pick? So you can take, the two best players from each um, decade. So yeah. let's start with Temple in the 90s. You get Eddie Jones and Aaron McKee. You go to St. Joe's in the early 2000s. You can take Delonte West and Jameer Nelson. And then for the 2010s, you can take any any Villanova guards that you want. You can take Brunson and Archie Diacono. You can take Bridges, whoever the hell you want. And then you put those three on. I'm sorry, I can't think of anyone on LaSalle that's good enough to well, sneak I'll in I'll there. I'll give the guy with the South Philly floater. Yeah, I mean, that guy. The- Darius South Garland, West Darius yeah. Garland, uh, Tyreek Garland, actually. Yeah, he he actually still sells uh, merchandise um, from that. He has a merchandise thing. It, it Good says, for him. Yeah, and he he actually plays in Albania right now. I, I'm Albanian, so I I actually reached out to him. I'm trying to get him on my show. Um, but no, I'd actually take a, a, a classmate of his, a uh, kid Ramon Galloway, who was a terrific player. Um, he was from the city. He played overseas. He was actually on the same team as 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 Garland. So, um, yeah, I I would go like a Ramon Galloway, maybe Tariq Duran. Um, you know, I, I remember back in Villanova, there was a kid Malik Wayans. I was a big fan of. He played at Roman Catholic. Um, yeah, there, there's in the 2000 like like from seven on to like seventeen. There were some really great players from this town that played in the in the city. You know, whether it was, uh, you know, you mentioned a kid like um, like uh, Galloway and those kids up at LaSalle, or there was a kid Dalton Pepper. He played at West Virginia. He wasn't actually from uh, and went to these schools, but you know, there's a lot of kids that have come over from here. But yeah, I, I would go with like Galloway or some of those kids from LaSalle. Jeff, I played soccer with Dalton Pepper, so I oh, actually yeah. <laughs> yeah so I. I uh, was born in Bucks County, and it went I, to Pensbury. Yep, my older brother went to Pensbury High School. Rival, bitter rivals with Council Rock. I'm trying to educate yeah. these two over here. Um, and then there was another guy when I was really young. Like I think when we were in fifth grade or something, he went to Notre Dame. I'm blanking on his name. I think it was like Torian, Torian something. I could be wrong. Uh, but Dalton Pepper, I absolutely remember, and I played with. Man, that's so such a small world. Yeah, I remember back years ago, I I went to the Kobe Bryant Classic. I don't know if you know what that is, but it was uh it was like one of these like showcase games. They would have uh, teams from all over the East Coast, like big time teams come in and play. And it was it was in memory of Kobe Bryant. He hadn't died at that point, but he had played at you know Lower Marion and it was at Villanova. And I remember you know, some of those memories I have. I remember seeing Tyreek Evans playing that. He played uh you know, locally, he was from Chester. And I'll even say this, like back when I was in high school, 
Um, and I don't know how much you guys know about the high school basketball scene around here, but Chester High School, uh, they had the, the legend Fred Pickett as their coach. Fred Pickett, for anyone that doesn't know, Fred Pickett was about 500 pounds. Uh, he was a gigantic individual. Um, but I'll tell you what, the guy could fucking coach basketball. I mean, he would get these kids from Chester, everywhere in Chester. And he had a team in 2007. They had a kid, uh, Karam Burton. Uh, just an incredible team. They actually went to the state final, and I want to say they lost to, to Shenley High School that year. But, yeah, I, I love high school basketball. I love college. I remember one time Phil Martelli blew me off at a South Philly High School basketball game. I, I tried to say hello to him. He told me he was too busy and kept walking. Um, and I, I never liked Phil from that point on. I was like 19 or 20 at that point. I remember I went up there to watch a kid, Ramon Moore, actually played at Temple for – I think four years, but yeah, I, I love Philly basketball. I, I, I could go on for hours about even like the playground games I used to go watch when I was a kid like some of the, and that's, what's crazy guys. Like some of the best basketball players I've ever seen, you never heard of like they, they you know, for whatever reason, weren't able to, to do anything, you know, and some kid, like some of the guys went into like the M1 mixtape tour kid, Aaron Owens, he became AO. He went into the M1 mixtape tour. But yeah, there's some kids that um. That's Ao. 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 Yeah, that one in there. Yeah, he MC. was. He was from uh, 24th of Somerset. He was a big Philly guy. Um, but yeah, no, I I I love basketball. I I could talk for hours about just the guys that I saw that no one ever saw that were great. Yeah, so, and I'll, I'll I'll let Taylor jump in here for a sec. But we're Arizona guys. Chester, PA, one of our favorites, man. Yeah. Rondé Hollis Jefferson. Yeah, that's that's where I was going with this. His so, brother uh, actually played at Temple. Yeah, 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 yeah. His older brother, correct? Uh, yes, correct. Yeah. So that's what I was about to ask. Is okay. So you you're obviously deeply embedded in East Coast basketball, PA, and we got a guy like RHJ Rondé Hollis Jefferson from yeah. Chester came all the way out to the West Coast. What view do you have as a as a staunch East Coast basketball guy? What view do you have of East Coast or West Coast basketball schools? Do you think there's a different vibe? Do you do you have any particular no. feelings of guys who go east to west or vice versa? No, I actually um I've always been a big fan of like Pac-12 basketball and and like West Coast conference. I love I love the West Coast. I I've always I don't really know like I can't talk about like high school stuff, but like I know obviously out there with like Chino Hills and Sierra Canyon now and some of these you know big time programs. But yeah, I, I don't know. I, I look if if you're lucky enough to be blessed with the physical ability of, to play basketball, um, I would go to I would go to Kyrgyzstan to play if I had to. It wouldn't matter to me. Um, you know, good for them. Uh, as far as going out there, I think it would be tough. You know, it's. Philly is such a flavor and, and, you know, it's funny because a lot of kids in Philly, at least the ones that are from the city, they have such a, a fascinating way of playing. It's, it's a different kind of, kind of feel. And I think that's why a lot of the kids never really matriculated in, into anything. And, you know, a lot of kids have just so many things that, that kind of hold them back. But um, yeah, you know, I, you know, you love seeing kids like, um, you know, Rondé and, and some of those kids go out there. I remember, Someone asked me before, who's the best basketball player high school I've ever seen? And I always say Dewan Wagner at Camden High School uh, back in, I mean, I remember, I think he was probably the first kid I ever saw live. And, I mean, it was. It Does was it make my, you feel old that his kid is now, like, yeah. the star yeah. recruit? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm starting to get that now. You're starting to see, like, uh, when I was 
you know, younger, Asante Samuel came to the Eagles. I remember and now Asante Samuel Jr. is now uh, in college. So, yeah, I saw, you know, you see all these guys, you know, Frank Gore and like in football, like Frank Gore Jr. is around now. So, yeah, it's definitely tough. You know, I you see you guys now that, that are in their 40s or they're pushing 40. And it's like, wow, you know, I remember when they were you know, 21, 22 at, at wherever. So yeah, it's, it's tough, but yeah, and that's so crazy about basketball too, guys. Cause like there is, as I said, there are just so many kids that never made it, you know, kids like Lenny cook. I don't know if you guys have ever seen that documentary. It's one of the best sports documentaries you'll find. If you love basketball, you should watch it. Uh, it was the safety brothers did it, who did uh, uncut gems and good time and a couple other good movies. Um, if you don't know who Lenny cook is, look him up. He's uh fascinating guy he uh real quick he was better than lebron and amari and carmelo the same year all those kids came out uh and you've heard of all those other guys you never heard of him so uh you know seeing stuff like that it's 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 crazy how many kids just don't make it but yeah basketball is amazing so i'll go with a quick answer on this one because us who went to uh schools in the west always felt like we needed a guy from the east we needed a, a, a just a street, you know, ball player, someone who could just run right. someone over and get a bucket, right? Have you guys from the East ever thought to yourselves, we need a West Coast free-flowing shooter or anything like that? Or is this is that just a feeling that goes West to East and not East to West? Um. Well, no. I mean, if you look at, I mean, a, there there have been a lot of great basketball players to come out of this. I mean, even just like the state of California. I, no, I, th- I think they have like a silky kind of game. I, I guess I don't know. It's it's interesting to think about. Uh, I guess I'm always just kind of worried about. Like I've always just either been like a New York or Philly guy, you know, because I I remember you know just kind of always enjoying like streetball. That's always kind of been one of my favorite things. Um, but yeah, I, I never really thought of that. But you know, when you think about how many great players have come out of the West Coast, it's uh, it's pretty incredible, actually. So no, I, no, I never have thought about that. But I'll tell you, one guy I used to love, and he went to Arizona. I remember uh, Richard Jefferson. I was I was always a, a big fan of his uh, when he was uh, there. I thought you were going to say Mustafa Shakur. I was like, mm, we're, we're, I'm not the biggest Mustafa Shakur fan. He was no, he was I, good at Arizona, but. I thought he was going to be a lot better. Khalid Reeves was an East Coast guy. Okay. Yeah. Back back in the day. Yep. 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 No. Yeah. There's, um, it's good that you guys can talk about this just because I, you know, it's it's weird. You don't ever really get people that can talk about basketball like this. But when I hear the word, the name Khalid, I, one of my favorite players ever is Khalid El Amin, who was at UConn. Um, if you guys remember, he was kind of like a chunky kid. He, uh, Yeah, I, I think he was. It was around like that ninety nine two thousand era. Uh, he would always wear an undershirt, like a white t shirt underneath his jersey. But uh, yeah, this is timeless, man. It's always great to talk about the old school guys. Probably on the first team all undershirt with oh Julius yeah. Hodge. You got to put Chris yeah. Douglas Roberts on there too. I mean, we're yeah. rounding out a good starting five with that. Right there. I mean, CDR was bathing in that yeah. t shirt. If I ever were to play basketball, I would have definitely worn one for sure. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I mean, no. that was a look in the two thousands. I, I agree, it was a look. Back I think I want to say uh, Chris Kamen was a big undershirt guy. I might I might be wrong. Central Michigan, right? Yeah, I might be. Yeah. I mean, I might be wrong there, but I mean, he. Let's be honest. If if he wasn't wearing one, he probably should have. Been yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, 
All right. So yeah, Jeff, obviously we're, we're, we're super into college hoops. That's what we mainly are about. I, I do know that you're more of a, a gambler, a handicapper, all that sort of stuff. So I'll ask you a question in that world right here. When you're, and I do it too. I mean, Subi, he's the guy that runs the show for us. He wants us to start picking games more, more frequently. I'm picking over 70% strictly on weekday games this year. So it's not a big deal, but uh, I wanted to throw that out there. Good work. Um, we, we, yeah, we, we, we get into it. Um, when you're handicapping games, and I'll preface this with this, I'm more of a bracket guy. I'll spend, you know, six hours a day doing my bracket when Selection Sunday comes out, um, losing sleep about it, all, all into that. But when you're handicapping games, is there a particular stat that you focus in more on that maybe, um, you know, someone might say that that's not the most, that's not going to win or lose the game for you. It's not going to be the breaking point in the game, but just something that you personally value when you're picking a team or handicapping a side. Yeah, I mean, I've I've kind of hammered this away. If you listen to my show, and and I've I've, I've really kind of talked about it and how important it is in college basketball, uh, free throw percentage. Um, I, I remember this was probably five years ago. I saw a memo from the NCA about you know refs, and and th- there was kind of an edict that came down that there would be more fouls. And and if you've noticed over the last several years, there's been a lot more foul calls. You know, I think the NCA kind of just accumulates and says, you know what. More scoring is better for the game, and we want higher scoring. And if you've looked around sports, scoring's up. A lot of it has to do with the fact that officials are getting involved way too much. And I've kind of started to realize and uncovering that you look at last year, a prime example. One of the best free throw shooting teams in America was Hofstra. Uh, they were the number one team in the country against the spread. And when you flip it and you look at teams that are poor against the spread, it, you don't really ever find teams that are poor against the spread that aren't good f- you know, they're also bad free throw shooting teams. So it's not always something that matters, but, you know, look at any game you lose and go look at the free throw percentages and see if if you would have had a couple more free throws you'd have covered. So I'm always big on that. That's something that I always am all over. I, I won't. I actually won't back teams under 70% a lot of the time. I like that. And, Jeff, I did know the answer to that question because I do listen to your show. Good nugget on that most recent one about uh, your co-host there, Ryan, saying that Seton Hall only averages about 15 fouls per game. That's crucial when you get to March and you're playing with these close numbers. But I do know that you personally value that. You know, Rick Pitino always used to do deflections, whether you know he kept his own stats for that, really. But it's nice to know uh, that you have that one kind of personal stat that means something to you. Rebounding would be another crucial one if you're asking oh, yeah. me. When you yeah. look at when you look at like covering at the end of games, there, oh, yeah. if you're the favorite, a lot of time you're going to be getting fouled. You've got to be able to make those opportunities count. So you know, Seton Hall is a, a favorite of mine. I mean, they're twelve and seven against the spread because you know, they're one of the top free throw shooting teams in the country. So you know that that was kind of the difference between you know them winning or losing on Saturday against UConn. You know they were they were able, to, I think, to be eighty seven percent from the line. They have a kid like Bryce Aiken who hasn't missed this season. So uh, that's important. Yeah, I mean, you got to start charging for some of this advice, Jeff. But let's I do. talk. <laughs> I have some options for that. I love it. Let's talk this year, though, real quick. Who's your final four right now at the moment? I hate this question. Oh, <laughs> I get just, all the time. just pick two teams that you don't like that you think could win it all yeah. that aren't Gonzaga or Baylor. Yeah, no, I'll definitely give you an answer. Um, right. It's just so fluid; it changes so much, you know. Because I remember I talked about how much I love Tennessee like three weeks ago, and then they lose the Florida by like thirty. So it's um, uh, I would obviously go Gonzaga, Baylor. Uh, I like Loyola a lot. I think they're very good. Uh, I think they're a team that obviously has the ability. They've done it before. I don't see a lot of flaws with them, to be really honest with you guys. 
Uh, I think they're going to be a really tough out. And I'll go. Um, I'll go one more. That's tough, man. Uh, wow. I'll lean with like a Florida State, Texas Tech, something like that. Um, I think kind of one of those teams that we haven't really talked much about, but they're always there. You know, Texas Tech, I I think Chris Beard is a top three coach in America. I've said that for a few years now. The fact that he can get kids to take such an interest in defense is huge. Um, you know, and, and this is kind of a season where they've not really been talked too much about, but they have a player, Mac McClung, who's kind of different from what they normally have. He's a kid that can really create a shot at the end of a game. I like their mix of kind of young infusion with kind of veterans. I, I really like them. I, I think a team like that or just a long, lengthy team like Florida State will surprise and they'll be there. Don't jump off Tennessee just yet. I don't want to have to end up no, I, per- I, Periscope I, angry again. No, I actually want to go yeah. back to really quick your point. I actually – I think more of my knock on Tennessee is the the delusion from the fans. They could be one of the most delusional fan bases in America about like seeming – and a lot of it has to do with football is they just – they have this aura that they need to be included with like Alabama and stuff. And it's like, well, yeah, again, I mean, you really haven't relevant since 1998. The guy that took you to that, that, that peak is like a hall of famer. Now he's out of the league. That's how long it's been. So it's, you know, they're in that grouping, but no, I don't, I've I don't re- disagree there. Yeah. I've always respected like, um, you know, the, like the Grant Williams teams. Like I didn't love those teams like guy wise, but I, they were good. I mean, for sure. Just ran into a buzzsaw named Ryan Klein who hit like eight threes in a row in that Sweet Sixteen. Well, I, and Carson Edwards, I believe too. Yeah, well, yep. I was there. I was at Yum Center. I was there. Don't jump off us just yet. I don't know if you watched the game against no, and this I past weekend. I actually our really freshmen like are going to drive the charge. Buy yeah. on it now. No, and Jaden Springer is really good. I mean, he's one of those top twenty guys. And you know, I remember last year I I had this weird obsession with betting them, and I don't know why I kept doing it, but I kept doing it. I like Vescovi a lot. You know, Eve Pons is just such a weird player because he is – when you really look at it, like he's a terrible offensive player. Like it's hard to watch at times, but he really reminds me of Ben Wallace. Like I, I could see him being that kind of player at the next level. And, you know, Pons is going to make a ton of money at the next level because he's got the tools. But he really is tough to watch with like the fadeaways and like just the ugly such a offense. But clunky jump shot. It takes yeah. like five seconds to there's load a, it up. Yeah. There's a kid, uh, Jordan Sperber, he does a uh, hoop – uh, kind of hoop stuff where he like looks really deep into like possessions and games and stuff. And he did a video in the summer about just the awful like offensive game he has. And like, it's literally all he does is take like fade away, like oh. bank shots and just like, it's hard to watch. So I'm glad you brought up Florida state. Cause Florida state is one of my teams that I've picked to, I've picked to go really far. And I think I picked them to win the ACC this year. Am I wrong with that? Subi? We'll have to go into the annals, but I'm not go sure back off the top of my head. So, what uh, I mean, you extrapolated a lot on Tennessee. Do you have anything to add about like why Flor- Florida State continually gets into the top twenty-five, and when they do, they lose? But they they seemingly have all the guys. Do you have any answer as to why you think they uh, just can't sustain a winning streak for more than three or four games in a row once they get into the top twenty-five? Yeah, I, I think the continued issues, um, you know, and, and that's a really ugly loss. Like Georgia Tech on set or uh, you know recently I, I get confused by dates anymore but you know Georgia Tech was that was without I think Bubba Parham is one of their best players the the VMI transfer I, I mean I, I think the problem that Florida State has is they just they turn the ball over too much I, they don't really have anyone to handle the basketball like that pure point guard it's just a bunch of really tall guys and it's kind of like a committee you know and 
you know, their, their turnover rate is, or percentage wise is super high. I mean, from a national standpoint, it's very high. And, and a team like that, you can't really, nothing will work if that doesn't work. You have to be fundamental. It's a shame that they don't have a point guard like, you know, maybe like if they could have gotten Nemhard instead of him going to Gonzaga, if he would have went to Florida State, it would have been impressive. But yeah, it's just, I think that's their long term, long, long time downturn. But, you know, you know how the tournament is. Sometimes you just kind of figure it out and you can kind of just ride it. But uh, they, they need to be good for three or four games. And, Usually when it comes to the tournament, they are. But yeah, that's going to be kind of, I think, their undoing. And I don't know. It's going to be such a weird year just because, you know, what's Michigan going to be when they come back? And, and by the way, guys, the fact that they're on pause is such an overreach. It is really sad that it's going on because there's no reason they should be shut down. Look, I get if there's a vir- you know, virus in your program, you have to shut down. But, you know, to just shut a program down for no reason – definitely hurts i'd be a, i'd be pretty irritated if i were a, a, a player on that team yeah absolutely uh selection sundays just a couple weeks away i think we're five weeks away now and every college basketball junkie that i interact with has a set routine when it comes to march badness this year is obviously different the schedule has changed me personally i like to get a big ass breakfast burrito settle in and watch these games for fucking 12 hours straight do it again on on friday have a nice 30 by your side as well jeff do you have a routine uh that you usually do for march madness especially the first weekend yeah you know um usually for years it was just i sit and watch it because it's 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 this is what i do and, and it's kind of important that i'm that i'm paying attention but you know not last year because we didn't have a tournament but the year before i actually was in atlantic city and it was actually great i, I had a good time it was a nice uh it was actually really cool i i don't know i don't know if you guys ever been to atlantic city but now it's it's cool because there's all the casinos you can bet and and the cool nights were actually the, the first four nights you know it was a nice little crowd there wasn't too many people there and it was just rooting in games and it was actually a pretty cool atmosphere, especially at, at, at like Ocean Resort where like you can get a beautiful room up there. It, it's the middle of March, so it's, you know, it's not too expensive. And I actually did that. I don't know what this year is going to hold. Obviously, a bar still now. I don't know what I don't know what what what's going to be entailed for that. But, um, yeah, usually the, the, the routine was just I would just sit in my house and watch games like normal. But I will say. I don't know what this year will hold. It'll probably be that again, unless I'm doing something with, with Barstow. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, I, I would say the rituals usually just wake up and at, you know, 12, start watching games, just like any other day. I would say we're more of a watch it in your buddy's basement crew than go to Vegas or Atlantic City. I'm, yeah, I mean, I've never actually sure. done it, but um, that's that's our wheelhouse right there. Uh, sure. Another, another quick one for you, just because I follow you and I keep up with your interests. Sopranos or The Wire? You got to pick one. You can only watch the, one, of the, one of those for the oh, rest yeah. of your life. Yeah, yeah, the, the wire for sure. I, really? I yeah, I, I think um, I've been on record as saying I think the wire is the best piece of entertainment ever made as far as movies, TV, whatever. Um, and a lot of it just has to do with the fact that look, I love Sopranos. I think it's they're 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 on a mountain. They're like ba- Baylor and Gonzaga to me right now. Uh, That's and, and good. Everyone else. That's good. Um, the Sopranos got I think a little too long. To be honest, I thought I thought the last season sucked. Frankly, um, you know the Cleaver. Uh, movie thing sucked. Some of the veto stuff went way too long. 
Uh, and it just got a little too long. And I think one thing about The Wire that I always respected was the creator of the show talked about that you know, every series has a beginning, a middle, and an end. And if sometimes you go too long, it becomes watered down. Every character in The Wire had its has his um, his end, basically. And you can't let a story go on too long. And Because I remember at one point, um, Barack Obama had mentioned it was his favorite TV show. And there was talk that Eric Holder, who was the attorney general at the time, was attempting to get David Ch- David Simon to make a sixth season of The Wire, and he was just totally against it. But no, I, I think it should be required viewing for every American. It's uh, it's really the sad state of where we've become as a country, and it's really just I think art, frankly. And yeah, I, I would always I still remember the first time I saw The Wire. I was uh, I don't even I don't even know if I should go back to that story. But if you guys have a quick minute, I have a really please share. Please share. Yeah, real quick. I I remember when I when I first left my house when I was 18, I remember telling my family I'm moving out like they knew I was always kind of a, a regular being. And I remember I moved to Philadelphia and I was living in South Philly at the time. And I remember I heard about The Wire and it had just been kind of wrapping up filming. It was it was it was like 2008 ish. And I remember weirdly enough, this is going to sound so crazy, but I heard someone tell me that season four was great. So I'm not even kidding, guys. I started season four before anything else. And I remember watching season four and then going back to season one. I don't know why I did it, but season four just had me so much. And I'll kind of relate it to the story I'm going to tell you. Well, the last job I ever had, not that I don't have a job now, but the last like nine to five job I had, I worked at a bank and in my town, it was in the center of the city. And next to the bank, there was this opera house. It was like where they did like these plays and stuff. And and they would get like these, you know, East coast actors to come in and act. And I remember one day I'm at the bank and I'm, I'm I was the teller that day at the job at the bank. And this, this, this guy comes in, he looked like Santa Claus had a big beard and, you know, it was winter at the time. And you know, I was taking care of his, his his stuff. He had some withdrawals and things, and we just started talking. And he was telling me he was an actor and stuff, and um, he was telling me that he was going to be at that opera house that night. And he was telling me he worked in TV, and I was like, oh, I was like, have I ever seen you and stuff? And as he's telling me the story, I'm thinking like, where have I seen this guy before? Like, I've seen this guy somewhere, and um, he goes, yeah, I, I acted in a show called The Wire, and I said, wait a second. You're the nail sto- nail gun guy, the the hardware store dude. And I look at it and I'm like, oh my God, you're that guy in season four when Snoop walks in and, and, and she talks to him about the nail gun. And he was telling me, he said, yeah, he goes, I remember they had me in for one day. I had just a couple of lines and he said, I never have seen the show. He said, so that's a, that's an important scene. I said, yeah, I said, it's probably one of the most important as far as people remembering the show ever. Uh, he said, yeah, I've never seen it. I, I always remember that story. I, I always th- say that's one of the best scenes in the show, like when she walks in and buys the nail gun, and he's just so surprised by her reaction. But No, I, you started with a good one, season four, no doubt about that. I used sure. to love Randy Wagstaff for whatever reason. I just that Yeah, he had, a, yeah. He, had a, he had a sad ending to his life. Yeah, yeah. I know. Hey, but hey, but no spoilers for that's people that one, haven't watched in, in 15 years. Yeah. That's one thing about The Wire it never got too fake. It was always in that line of work, in that business, and in that environment, there are very few happy endings. And that's one thing they always they were always real about. You know, no one really if you watch the show, very few people had 
success stories, you know, and it was, that's just how life is, sadly. Did you like but season I love two? Season two? I love season two. I so think, I. I think it's Ibaka. Loved if, him. You, if you don't love season two, I think you, I, I just don't think you're as smart as I am. Um, or me. I'm with you. Yeah, or that, you. That, yeah, we're, I'm with you there. And, and it's, it's weird because like season two is so relatable, I think, to a lot of people because, you know, it's, that's how cities have really been come decrepit by just the industry moving away. And, you know, you know, the drug wars actually fell into like white communities. And that was kind of what season two was about. But now I love Frank Sabaka. When he says we used to build shit in this country, now we just put our guy the hand in the next guy's pocket. I, I always I always love that scene. So yeah, no, I'm glad you like season two. Shout out to you. You're a real one. Native sure. Shark 2024. That's yes. gotta be yeah. on the ballot next year. Hell, yeah. Hell yeah. I'd I'd vote for that. I'm glad we've pivoted to theater though, because in our title, it's yes, theater and college yeah. hoops. What, what we like to do, Jeff, is incorporate any sort of movie reference, TV reference, at least one of them per episode. And go. so you're a very proud Albanian. Let me ask you real quick. Have you ever seen the movie Inside Man with Denzel Washington? Yes. Okay. You know what? There's a scene. When you said movie in Albanian, I thought you were going to go taken and just talk about that. Every time I say I'm Albanian, someone goes, oh, wait, you're that you're the guys like taken, right? I was like, you mean the kidnappers? Yeah, yeah. So that's you? It's like, no, I don't kidnap people and sell them on the sex market. <laughs> um, but yes, I have I have seen Inside Man. It's very good. Denzel. It is. So there's a scene where the bank robbers give Denzel audio of them inside the bank, and it's part of Denzel trying to yeah. uh, lure them out. But it turns out that audio is actually just a pre-recorded tape of some Albanian president. Excuse me. Does anybody know what language they're speaking? Anybody? Yo, my man. Hey, Phil, let that guy through. Come on. You know what language they're speaking? Yeah, they're speaking Albanian. Albanian? Albanian. From Albanian. What am I doing here? Well, am I getting arrested? Nah, for you're not getting arrested. Come on, come on. Whoa. Okay. What are they saying? I have no idea what they're saying. You got no idea. I thought you no. said you spoke Albanian. I never said I speak Albanian. You said you spoke Albanian. I never said I speak Albanian. Well, how do you know it's Albanian? My ex-wife and her parents are Albanian. Oh. Her parents couldn't speak English for shit. I have no idea what they're saying, but I'll tell you right now, the language is 100% Albanian. 100%. 100%. Call the Albanian consulate, uh, see if they can get somebody over here to translate this for us. Make it happen fast. Okay, you hang out in the back for me, okay? Man was stolen two days ago, but it's clean. No prints. Nothing? Nothing. Albanian. My man, like I told you, 100% Albanian. Detective Frazier. Right here. I have the Elena Maria over here. Miritia. Oh, how you doing? Hello. How you doing? What's this? Parking tickets. You can fix them. You know, see what I can do. Can you listen to this and tell us what they're saying? No, you can't smoke in here. Shit, go ahead. That's so funny. You know what they're talking about? I know what they're talking about. I even know who it is. You know who it is? I mean, you know the names? Who, who is it? Parking. They're taken care of. Who is it? It's Enver Hoxha. Who? He was the president of Albania. 
What, you're telling me the former president of Albania is in there robbing a the bank? Enver Hoxha is dead. There's a tape of him discussing how Albanian people are great people. They are immortal people. I don't worry. The tape. You sure about it? I had to listen to all this nonsense in school. Communism is great, capitalism is evil, Lenin, Marx, blah, blah, blah. It's Enver Hoxha. It's a tape. Okay. Okay, well, officer, you can take her home. And do me a favor. Uh, watch where you park next time, okay? Yeah, Enver Hoxha. He was a communist leader in Albania, yes. Yeah. Okay, so I wanted to see. First of all, I I was like, is it? I, I didn't rewatch it in preparation for this. I called him Albanian president. I didn't know if he was a dictator, what he was. Yeah. But we're and, and basically what it, to the viewer, it you know you're thinking this is Clive Owen and the bank robbers. In reality, it's an audio tape. Were you able to sniff that out the second you you heard the the audio there? Yes, because uh, you know. Albanian is is such a uh, it's actually a very tough language as far as learning it. Like if you are someone that is wanting to learn a language, obviously no one really speaks it that you probably know of. But no, Albanian is, is pretty pretty you know, pretty much something I would recognize right away. So yeah, I actually always remember that. And when I first saw Taken, I didn't know what the movie was about. And I remember in the movie he goes to like this part of town in Paris where like there's a lot of like prostitutes and stuff. And I think he has like an Albanian, like he, he pulls someone off the street that like teaches him Albanian. And I remember yeah, hearing it right away. And there was actually a Simpsons episode, weirdly enough, where they get a, an exchange student that's Albanian actually. And I guess like basically the kid's job, he's like a secret spy for like the Albanian communist government. And he sets up like this goofy, like cell tower in like their treehouse or whatever. And yeah, there's always like weird connections with Albania. And now, nowadays, like most of the amazing singers like Rita Ora, Bibi Rexa, Dua Lipa, they're all Albanian. A lot of people don't know that. Um, a lot of famous Albanians, um, John Belushi, uh, Regis Philbin, uh, Eliza Dushku, Big Man on Campus, we're all Albanian. That's a hell of a roster right there. Action Bronson, he's Albanian. So yeah, a uh, lot of Albanians. Yeah, I don't think they're getting the shine that they deserve. And no. speaking of shine, I want to give you credit and get you out of here on a very positive note. I saw your tweet the other day uh, about your weight loss journey. Very inspiring, yeah. fantastic. Kudos to you. Can you tell Thank us you. a little bit about that and where you were a year ago to where you are now and what you've really had to go through to get to a place where you're feeling happier and healthier, it would seem. Yeah, this, this, this time of the year is bittersweet because I remember – I think it was March 15th of last year. It was I was actually supposed to start at Barstool on Selection Sunday last year. And I went up the week before conference tournaments were in full force. Or it might have been a week and a half, two weeks before. And I remember going up there. And, and I've, I've talked about this on like blogs that I've written about the subject where I remember going up there and I was so tired when I came home. And I remember watching a video that I was in and I said to myself, oh, my God, you know, I've gotten out of hand with with my weight. And I, at that point, I was I was almost 340 pounds. And I, uh, you know, I, I ended up the coronavirus happened and, and Portnoy said to me, you know, we're going to have to kind of push it off till September. And I I kind of said to myself, you know what? I know this is coming. It was almost like the the combine for me and like the, uh, or the NBA draft or something. And I said, you know what? I know this is coming. Like I'm, I'm going to make sure when I go there, you know, in, in, in September or, or October, you know, I'm going to try to have a, uh, I'm going to try to look different. So 
I, I watched this thing on Joe Rogan about intermittent fasting and Joe Rogan had this dude on that. He was a doctor and he was studying how to live longer and how to, how to better yourself. And yeah, you know, I just started doing it. You know, I started, you know, not eating. I, I, I started at 16 and eight. I started doing that. And, you know, now I'm up to five hours where I eat out of the day. And then the other 20, I don't, sometimes I'll even do 24 and four. Um, and I just started going outside during the day. I'd leave my phone inside. I'd always take a half hour out of my day. And I started walking and, and then it just started being running. And then I started doing push-ups. and the, the work that I do is so basic and it, it's really just kind of a rugged thing. Like I do it out in the, out in the street. Like I don't go to a gym. I just put on a suit, track suit and whether it's hot or cold, go out and do it. And I really believe that I arrived. It snowed last week around here. It was like 10 inches of snow and I went out and worked out no matter what. Like I just, it's part of my day now. It's part of my rigorous routine. It's part of my, my eating way. And the weight just started coming off and uh, it was 60 pounds. Then it was 70. Then it was 80. Then it was 90. Uh, My goal was always 120. I wanted to get back to like 220. Uh, And um, I'm about 10 pounds away. So uh, hat tip to you. Hat tip to you. That's fantastic. Shark and I actually just finished off a dry January and cool. I'll do it. I finished up the whole 30. Taylor's a string bean as it is, so he doesn't necessarily <laughs> need to to diet or do any of that. It's but, one yeah. of the um and and if you guys know, I mean Taylor might not know, but if, if you struggle <laughs> to wait, like it's probably one of the I, I've always when I got the job at Barstool, I, I took some time and thought like, wow, you know, it's pretty crazy that you know, when I started doing this, like no one knew who I was and now I'm getting paid by like a huge media company that, you know, is willing to give me a shot. But like the, the weight thing was like on a different level because I had taken the name Big Men on Campus and it became like a literal thing to me. And um, it was a really great part of my life because even back then, like when I started doing all this, a girl dumped me. She was way out of my league, but she dumped me and it, it really gave me motivation to to just, you know, do it. And, and it's been one of the great like uh, – things i've never done so i'm proud of it yeah kudos to you and that'll definitely let a fire under your ass hey jeff we really we really appreciate you jumping onto the program man this was a fantastic interview uh open invite anytime you want to hop back on okay no i appreciate it guys this is really fun i'll do it whenever you want uh good stuff uh uh, good luck on the show appreciate it thanks man All right, we want to thank Jeff again for jumping onto the program. A wonderful interview, a lot of fun. Uh, big Philly guy, give him a follow. Uh, big man on campus podcast. I, I have no issues promoting that, even though he's a competitor of ours. But a lot of good, uh, good conversation there with Jeff. Let's go ahead and finish it up now, though, fellas, with some segments. First and foremost, please, sir, I want some more. Please, sir, I want some more. What? What? All right. Quick rundown. Nap. Uh, 13 and 8. Taylor, 9 and 12. What? What? what, What's with the face? I just got a face from the shark. WTF. Why the face? Just do your show. Do do the intro. All right. I mean, I got I got the records right. Let's do a quick recap, though. Taylor, 0 and 3. I'm sorry. Awful. Just week last week. Just terrible. Just terrible. There's nothing. There's no real excuses for that. Just uh, you got to get up the next day and do better. That's that's all. I can appreciate that. You know, no excuses whatsoever. LSU plus eight and a half against Bama uh, did not hit. Vatek minus two and a half against Pitt. Oklahoma State minus five against TCU. Just a, a ridiculous finish. Cade Cunningham deciding to take a shot uh, at the bu- with like ten seconds left when the game was tied. Yeah, that was absurd. Uh, you know, really. 
I don't get too upset with each individual pick, but LSU is just a bunch of fucking bums. They suck. And uh, yeah, Cade Cunningham, of course, he comes back in their next game and hits a game winner too. But his decision to pull up with like, yeah, or go whatever. I don't, did he pull up or I can't remember. if He, he, he the attacked rim or, the rim, he yeah, attacked the rim, he but it was a difficult contested right, layup with like 10 seven, seconds. Yeah, right. Uh, and you, in a tie game. So yeah, both, both of those, I was, I was definitely a little boisterous about here in person. The shark, on the other hand, uh, Pitt plus three against Va Tech. That hit LSU plus eight and a half. Same bet that Taylor made against Bama did not. And VCU plus one, a late entry there, courtesy of our A10 guy, Justin Hasgard, and friend of the program. VCU plus one uh, against URI. That hit. Let's go ahead and kick it off to to actually first of all, Shark. Yep. Have you worn and have you have you thought about Mister Miercoles? You want to be Mr. Wednesday night. It doesn't roll off the tongue. We love alliteration. Mr. Miracle is. What are your what are your thoughts? If that's what people want to call me, they're allowed to call me that. I gave myself the nickname Mr. Wednesday night. I feel like it would be inappropriate if I were to alter the own nickname that I gave me. If someone else wants to take it and run with it, I'm fine with it. I'll listen to Miracules. Um, I'm good with that for the nickname. Not good with your intro again. Thought it was poor. Didn't really set the stage as to how successful I've been on my picks here. Again, you, you said I'm 13 and eight. I'm 13 and five on weekday games. That's 73%. I mean, how, how much longer do I have to do this? I also picked Pitt on the money line too, but you didn't give me credit for that one. They're getting three points. Given Getting three points, they won on the money line. It's, it's just like you exist over there just to say things in the most boring way possible. And it's not adequately conveying the level of success that I've had on a weekday game here. And not to mention, you're all, you're all up in my ass about scheduling things and pushing me to show up on certain times. Don't come in here telling me these narratives that are incorrect and to asking me to explain myself when everything is one-sided, me trying to accommodate you and you don't give it back. I still don't understand why your games on Saturday just don't count. Like, why does the why do those? Well, not they count? do count. They they do count the context of the overall season, but not with respect to me. <laughs> like, being a, like the money picker. money just doesn't is worth less dollar amounts on like but, Saturday than it is on on Wednesday. Apparently, well, I think it's um, you're coming to me for weekday picks. You're not coming to me to project out on a Saturday on a Saturday game. It's the same reason you're not going to throw. Uh, a fade route to Tyreek Hill in the back of the end zone. That's not his specialty. He's there to get open and make big plays. If you're coming, you want to do that to, you know, Travis Kelsey or Sammy Watkins or someone else that has the ability to go up and get it. I'm using a bad example because they were terrible offensively this past week, but you get my point. I'm a very specific role player niche type guy. I get open on Wednesday nights. I get points on Wednesday nights and maybe on Thursday this week too. Oh, oh God! Dude. Here, oh, here we go. So now, when he loses the Thursday game, he's gonna be like, "Well, fuck! It was on a Thursday. You know, you can't count that against me." I'll never ask you to count it against me. You're always allowed to bring it up against me, but just be prepared for me to have that uh, reaction to you. Well, Let's then, dive in. We then I was Let's gonna say, here in. we go. I'm only gonna pick Thursday, Friday, and Saturday games, and only count the ones I win from here on forward. Then, if that's how we're if that's how we're gonna go here, you, you really think you're gonna win those with the way you've been picking lately? Uh, you know, you don't. You don't lose every game during a year, so at some point you got to knock a couple down. Talk to me, Taylor. What are some of your picks? So uh, let's see here. So I'm actually going to start off with uh, Sharks, Tennessee Volunteers, but I'm going to go to the opposite direction. Georgia is getting 13 points here, and I think Tennessee wins this game, uh, but Georgia's played well as of late. 
won three in a row. And uh, Shark alluded to Tennessee's struggles offensively over the last month or so. Uh, some games they're up, some games they're down. Uh, I, I can see Georgia hanging out within 13 points here uh, despite Tennessee. And, I mean, we, we're giving Tennessee credit for beating a 5-12 and 12 Kentucky team. Um, so congratulations for beating a team that's won 33% of their games this year. Uh, so uh, Georgia plus 13 is my first one there. Uh, I'm going to follow that up with a team that was undefeated but just lost their first game this last week. I'm going to go with Drake minus 11.5 over Northern Iowa. Drake is one of the best offensive teams in the country. Uh, Valpo actually played them tough both games uh, over the last week and included beating them uh, here this last weekend. Uh, so I'm going to vote for a, uh, a comeback or a bounce back here by Drake by 11 and a half over Northern Iowa. And in third and final, a team that has been struggling, but I just think, and I think you guys will agree with me on this one, a team that I think is just better than they've played the last couple of weeks. And that's Iowa. I mean, this team has lost a couple games to Indiana over the last month. And I still think that they're a, a team that's going to contend late into March this year. They, unfortunately, they're five or 0 and five in their last five games against the spread, which is absurd for a team that has the best player in the country. So I'm going to look for them to bounce back in this game too. Iowa by six over Rutgers. Shark, Mr. Miercoles, talk to me. Thank you. First one, I would. This one is screaming at me, and it's screaming at me for all the wrong reasons. And I kind of hate myself for picking this, anyways. I'm going to Oxford, Mississippi. Mizzou is playing Ole Miss now. In some crazy universe, Ole Miss is favored in this game by a point and a half. And normally, when I look at that, that line stinks. I'm automatically my radar's up. I'm wondering why the heck is Ole Miss favored by a point and a half against an old uh, Mizzou team that just beat Alabama. That's red hot. That has a, you know, been, you know, I, I think they're number 10 in the country at this point. It might move up at some point. Uh, yet they're, they're dogs on the road. The only reason I'm doing this is because of the fact that Ole Miss just cannot score. I mean, they're a very good, strong defensive team, but they cannot score. And Mizzou can score. They have three players and Xavier Pinston, Drew Smith, as well as uh, Jeremiah Tillman that are, you know, I was asked on Twitter. I think those are, great pieces for a long-term run. You have a great college big, you have a senior guard that can get a bucket whenever you need it. And you have a guy that can play at the next level. So they can score enough Ole Miss. They can play defense. They play this funky. They're always changing up their defensive uh, postures. They're throwing their hands in your face. They're, they're, they're a weird team to prepare against. Um, but I think Ole Miss, uh, excuse me, Ole Miss, Mizzou, it's kind of throwing me off. Mizzou is my pick getting a point and a half, despite the fact that it is a massive stink line. And I'm going to be kicking myself if this doesn't work out. But I'll trust the the leadership, even though it is Quanzo as well. So there's a lot of red flags. I, honestly, I'm kind of talking myself out of this pick as I go through it right now. Be cautious, but just trust in the fact that Ole Miss cannot score points. I think Ken Palm's got him down to like a hundred, uh, number 100 in offense. Pretty good defense. Next pick. Sticking in the SEC, sticking at 9 p.m. Eastern, and I'm going back to the well with LSU. They're tough to watch right now, I'll be honest with you. They look disinterested. You uh, seem battered by LSU right now. You just keep coming yeah. back. Well, I mean, eventually it's going to have to click. They're, they have a ton of talent, all right? They have a ton of talent in Mississippi State. They kind of suck. Let's let's let's. They're much like their brethren within the state of Mississippi. They're good defensively, but they cannot score. The difference in this one is just going to be LSU is actually a very good offensive team, horrendous defensively, but they can get up and down and score. And I don't think 
Mississippi State's going to be able to keep up with them. Plus, LSU's getting three points. Um, I mean, come on. It's Mississippi State. I, I think LSU is going to right the ship right here, get themselves back in for a, a little run. They they had a game against Florida that was canceled over the weekend due to COVID. I think that's that was well timed for uh, the Tigers. You know they they're fresh off a few bad losses, getting embarrassed and losing, getting embarrassed by Alabama, and then losing a tight one to A and M when they pretty much choked that one away at the end. They 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 got a little break here, and you can go down to. Or what town uh, is Mississippi State in again? Starkville, Stark, Stark Vegas, Stark Vegas. Yeah, they can go down to Stark Vegas and take care take care of business. My last one. It's not a Wednesday night one, but this is one that I just have to look ahead. I don't care what the line is. All right, this is my first ever. I don't care what the line is. Pick. Give me Kansas over Iowa State on Thursday night. The game is being played in Lawrence. Iowa State is playing as I'm yapping my mouth right now. They're playing Tuesday, Thursday. Kansas is due to get get this shit figured out. All right. They've been bad. A lot of people are saying they're not going to be ranked. What if they're going to fall into the blue bloods that don't make it? Well, let me give you a beautiful little cure. It's called the Cyclones from Iowa State, who is who are awful. So I think Kansas is going to take care of business there. Everything's shaping up for them. Home game against the worst team in the Big 12 who played 48 hours beforehand. I don't care what the spread is. Hopefully it's less than 15. But um, yeah, as soon as as soon as it a spread is listed. Take it. Go, go grab that line. I'm telling you what. I love the Kansas pick, I, and I love everyone jumping off of them. They're not in that blue blood that may not make the tournament. That's reserved for the Dukes, the Carolinas. Kansas is probably still going to make the tournament. It just depends on how many rounds you know you think you're going to take them going far. They got the talent. David McCormick is playing incredibly well the past couple games. Uh, they got their win against – I forget who they played, but it was in Lawrence. So, yeah, I mean – Cyclones are a good, good cure. Uh, do not write off the Jayhawks just yet. Good picks, though, gentlemen. Good picks. Uh, all right, let's go ahead and finish it up now with a few more segments. First and foremost, This Week in Feet. This Week in Feet in 1969, Pistol Pete Maravich, LSU Tiger, scores 66 points in 110 to 94 loss to Tulane. Embarrassing. I don't know how you get 66 out of Pistol Pete and still lose the game. Uh, scored 66 out of 94 total points, but some crazy theater right there in Baton Rouge. Um, now let's go ahead and finish it up with some hugs. Taylor, I will kick it to you. Round us out with some hugs. Yeah, I want to uh, hug the students of North Carolina and maybe open up a discussion to how you guys feel about this real quick. What the fuck were they doing storming like their main campus area or their streets after beating like the worst Duke team of all time. Like, what are we, what are we celebrating here? So apparently it is a yearly tradition, but traditions probably should be put on hold. Number one, because of COVID, but number two, because I mean, that's fair. Duke sucks, but I think it is a yearly tradition for them. I, I, mean, I still, so, I mean, that's, that's like winning, I don't know. I, I don't even know what a good analogy is for beating the worst uh, Duke team of our lifetimes and why we, we would be celebrating this in this environment. So mine is going to be a, a, a what are you doing hug uh, because I thought that was just absolutely ridiculous. Rivalry, baby. Rivalry runs runs deep. That's fair, though. Uh, okay. My hug is for Don Staley. I told you at the top of the program that this was going to be a very Philadelphia-heavy episode and we're rounding it out 
Don Staley hug for her for wearing essentially John Chaney's outfit. She had the loose tie. She had uh, the white shirt. I think she had some sort of cardigan as well. I'm really enjoying these, these coaches, these contemporary coaches paying homage to those that we've lost. We see Mike Boynton, I think every single game wearing a towel over his shoulder, like the late great John Thompson. Uh, so I'm really enjoying some of these coaches uh, doing that. And Don Staley hug for you. Uh, for paying respect not only to a you know to a Philadelphia legend, NCAA basketball coaching legend, but Don Staley also from Philly, he major impact on her uh, as I'm sure she would tell you. Shark, any hugs? Hug, but not for a good reason. Hug is going to Nate Oates at Alabama. Feel bad for the guy. Busted out the trendy blazer on a Saturday game. What he thought was a big game against the top 15 Mizzou team. It's too early for a blazer on a sleepy noon game on a Saturday. He was wearing like this. Um, oh, uh, Sue, you might be better at describing it than I am, but it was almost plaid. It was blue. It looked preposterous on the sidelines. Hug for you. Clean that up. You look like a folk singer. Get out of here with that. All right. You're not good enough to start wearing the blazer like the famous guy in the hard knocks from uh, the Falcons, probably like five or so years ago when he was screaming at the one player. You're not good enough to be an asshole. That's what I felt about Nate Oates wearing a blazer like that on a sleepy Saturday noon tip. He's got something going on right now. They're in Columbia uh, in a dogfight against the Gamecocks. So I think Nate Oates is getting a little too big for his britches. Is he wearing another blazer like that? Yeah, it's it, it looks pretty much like that. I mean, I think Mizzou's was a lot louder and boisterous. But let me ask you this before we get out of here. What are your thoughts on if Oates went houndstooth, paying homage to uh, the great Bear Bryant? Would that be a it would be acceptable in the right moment. It's all timing. You can't wear outlandish stuff like that on, on games where the energy's not matching it. You, you wear that on a, a Saturday at 8 p.m. tip um, against a rivalry. You don't do it in something like this. It's, it's a bad look. You're wasting bad juju, and you're just putting a target on yourself right there. Now now everyone's talking about it. Everyone should be talking about his jacket and his blazer, when in reality they should be talking about he's got a pretty good squad. That's how you tie it all together. I go positive hug for Don Staley for her attire. Shark goes negative hug for Nate Oates and his attire. All right. We want to thank Jeff Nadu again for jumping onto the program. Uh, we will catch you next time here on Theater and College Hoops. 